Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Have you ever wondered what language God speaks? Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit to inaugurate the birth of the church. Join us for the message, Babel Reborn. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is Pentecost Sunday. So we're a little bit more festive today than we normally are. It's also Memorial Day weekend. Now I want to ask a question. What language does God speak? Well, we're going to have to talk about that later uh, when we have our message, Babel Reborn. So stay tuned for that. Now we open the Bible to read our scripture for the day. Our first scripture comes from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Listen now for the word of God. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. As they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and turn them and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will let us go down, will be, now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not, not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Our New Testament reading comes from Acts 2, verses 1 through 18 and 21. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Individual tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, either, in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there was, were devout Jews from every nation from under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own la native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamph Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya be belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. 
Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what is spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon my all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know just enough German to be dangerous. I can ask a question with sufficient competence to create the impression that I actually know the language. But when a German then answers my question, I might recognize maybe three, four words at most. I then just stand there with a blank expression on my face and ask, Sprechen Sie English? (laughs) Back when I was leading the mission program at First UMC Denton, our church had a partnership with a small United Methodist congregation in the little town of Trebon, Czech Republic. Well, one year, the senior pastor and I led a mission trip to Trebon so the members of the two congregations could have a chance to meet each other. While we had a guide and several of the congregants there in Trebon spoke English, nonetheless, the pastor, Ricard, spoke no English. And needless to say, I spoke no Czech. But the guide told me, however, that Ricard knew some German. So dare I try some of my questionable high school German? Well, I did try my German, and we had some success in communicating, at least with the most simple conversations. Neither one of us, however, was very good in German. Well, walking around the city one day, Ricard was trying to explain something to me in German, which I didn't understand. I tried to ask some questions for clarification in German, which he didn't understand. We went back and forth a few times with no success. And finally, Ricard just tossed his head back laughing, looked at me, and simply said, babble. (laughs) Well, that I understood. We both may have been lousy at German, but we both knew the Bible, and we knew that the story of Babel provided the common ground that would allow us to share a laugh. And it's a very good thing, by the way, that Ricard had a good sense of humor. Because a year later, he came to visit us in Denton, and we took him to have Mexican food for the first time. And I had him mimic me as I took a chip, dipped out a huge heap of hot salsa, and put it in my mouth. And Ricard did the same. And he was fine for a few seconds. And then his eyes suddenly grew watery and large, and he grabbed a cerveza. And after downing the rest of the bottle, he looked at me and smiled and shook his finger at me, (laughs) which evidently is the international symbol for shame on you. Our two scripture texts today, the story of the Tower of Babel and the first Pentecost, they're kind of like biblical bookends, and in many ways they're the the inverse of one another. In one story, the people are divided by language. In the other, they're united through language. And the forces of unity and diversity play back and forth with each of these stories, tearing apart any attempt at simplistic assumptions or conclusions. 
Well, the Babel story there in Genesis takes place after the flood of Noah, but before the call of Abram. And at that time, all the people of the world could speak a single language, and they came as a group to the plain of Shinar to settle. Well, there they learned to bake bricks and decided to build themselves a tower, a city with a tower that reaches all the way to heaven. And it says they did this for two reasons. To make a name for themselves and to prevent them from being scattered upon the face of the earth. So they began to bake and to build and to raise up a city and then raise up a tower to heaven. One problem, though, is they never even got close to heaven. The text says that in order to check out this tower to heaven, the Lord had to come down from heaven just to catch a glimpse of it. I can almost see God shaking the divine head and sighing and saying, what are these silly mortals up to now? Well, the Lord sees that if there is not an intervention, then the humans are going to continue to use their labor and energy and fruitless projects as this. So God confuses their language, preventing them from completing the city, much less the tower. Humanity now has no choice but to separate out into the different linguistic groups and to set off for other lands. And of course, the irony is that the reasons that humanity started this project was to make a name for themselves and to prevent from being scattered. Yet, as Kathy just read, Come, let us build a city for ourselves and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered up abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So what happens? Their worst fear is realized as they are scattered abroad upon the land, and the only name they make for themselves is Babel, which means confusion. Now, why did God confuse their language and scatter them? Well, it's not because there was any real chance that people were going to build a tower to heaven and, and storm the place. It wasn't really because they were guilty of pride or arrogance. Making a name for oneself is not necessarily looked down upon in the Old Testament. What the human beings were guilty of was fear. God had specifically commanded the early humans to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth and therefore be the earth's caretakers. And if they're not scattered, then they cannot fill the earth and fulfill God's command. The people are like children who need to be redirected. They needed some tough love to be pushed out of the nursery. Their anxiety led them to seek their security through keeping together in an enclosed and unchanging community where everyone was alike and everyone spoke the same language. Their insecurity made them more concerned about their self-preservation than about the preservation of creation with which they had been entrusted. Time and treasure was being put to use that was not in keeping with God's intention for humanity. Later, Jewish rabbis often retold biblical stories with added details or emphasis. And this was their way of offering commentary on the meaning of scriptures. And this practice is called midrash. In one retelling of this story, the rabbi said that the tower grew so high that it would take an entire year to reach the top. And as a result, the baked bricks became highly valued and expensive. And if a brick fell and was shattered, there was great mourning and lamentation. If a worker fell and was killed, however, there was little concern. There was always more where that came from. The sin then of the builders of Babel 
was that they valued their commercial goods and enterprises more than they did their fellow human beings. Now fast forward several thousand years, and now we're with the disciples of Jesus, about 120 people, in the upper room during the Jewish festival of Pentecost. Now Pentecost was also known by the name the Feast of Weeks, and it was celebrated 50 days after Passover to commemorate the first fruits of the harvest. At this, at this point, the barley harvest would have been completed, and the wheat harvest had just begun. In later Jewish thought, Pentecost was also associated with the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Well, they were all gathered there, and all of a sudden, the sound of a rushing wind, I always kind of think of the sound of a Texas tornado, it fills the whole house where they are, and what appears to be little tongues of flame appear over each head. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in foreign languages. Now, these 120 disciples would have included men and women, young and old, affluent and poor. And they were all filled with the Spirit. And they were all speaking the gospel in foreign tongues. In Jerusalem, Jews from every corner of the known world would have been residing there, and in addition, thousands more would have been there for Pentecost. And yet, each of these Jews heard the good news in their own native language, which they found amazing, but also confusing and bewildering. What was going on? Aren't these people all Galileans? How could they know all these different languages? And some said, rather snarkily, the disciples must be drunk. Now, I, I say this every Pentecost because I find this hilarious. I've never known drunkenness to make people speak foreign languages. Usually it makes them incapable of speaking their own language, much less a foreign tongue. But I always, I always think that's funny. But Peter rises up and addresses the crowd. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Then Peter goes on to quote from the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So what does then the juxtaposition of these two stories have to tell us about the interplay between unity and diversity. Well, looked from a certain angle, the scattering of the human beings at Babel looks like punishment. It looks like a curse. Diversity is, after all, dangerous. Diversity can lead to genocide, xenophobia, ethnic cleansing, racism, religious intolerance, and war. Human beings kill each other over diversity. So why on earth would God want diversity? But looked at from another angle, the scattering of the Tower of Babel, or the people there, looks like grace. It seems like the diversity created at Babel was part of God's intention for humanity when we were first commanded to fill the earth. God took great risk creating human diversity. But humanity itself, in the end, must be diverse precisely because we are made in the image of God. When we are diverse, we more fully reflect nothing less than the Trinity itself. God differentiated in these three persons 
yet united in substance and united in love. There's nothing particularly grand or noble in having unity among people who are all alike. That's easy. What's hard is to have unity among those who are different. For that to happen, you're going to need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Unity and diversity is nothing less than God breathed. And you can hear God's breath there in the rushing wind. As the Jews of Jerusalem heard the good news, many responded by being baptized and incorporated into the church. When that happened, they became part of something that was larger than themselves. However, they, they still did not cease to be Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. As Paul later writes very famously in his letter to the Galatians, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Notice that the baptized do not cease to be male or female, Jew or Greek, just because they've embraced the gospel. What happens is they find a higher unity in Christ. Pentecost did not wipe out the different human languages. Pentecost transcended them. We can expand the categories then to reflect modern life. In Christ, there is no longer black and white. In Christ, there is no longer gay or straight. In Christ, there are no longer Americans and Russians to look back at the Cold War when I was growing up. We can still celebrate and embrace our diversity and experience the unity that we have in Christ. You see, the time may be coming soon when the Spirit might ask us to speak the gospel in a foreign language and to embrace the diversity of the Trinity right here in our own backyard. And I want to say this because there's more than one way to speak a new language. In the last three years, we have had to learn the language of online ministry and social media ministry. And soon we may have to learn the language of artificial intelligence. But the thing is, we must learn whatever language it takes. So we resist the spirit and continue to build up our own version of the monolingual power of Babel? Or will we speak with boldness the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ in whatever language the Holy Spirit inspires us in? Author Bill Wiley Kellerman writes this about Pentecost. The question to which Pentecost comes as bold answer is this. Will the Christian movement be ruled by fear? Will they be contained and confined, rendered timid and silent? Pentecost says no. The story in Acts 2 begins presumably in the upper room and it ends in the streets of Jerusalem. How did they get there? Carried by the big wind? It's as if the walls dissolve. The disciples take the resurrection to the streets. They go public. To the authorities it must appear as political madness an acute and hopefully isolated case of sanctifying, sanctified anarchism. Some people say that they had too much to drink. Granted, this refers in part to the inspired and aesthetic utterances, but, I'm, but I uh, wager even more to their reckless courage. After what's been done to Jesus, you'd have to be either crazy or drunk to be shouting his name in the streets and pointing accusing fingers at his executioners. 
Heretofore, the disciples have beheld Christ. Now they experience the concrete and practical freedom of the resurrection. No political authority, any place or any time, can shut that down. Pentecost means speaking without confusion. Babel means confusion. Pentecost speaks then without confusion. The people of Babel wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, Peter proclaims that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let us then, as God's sons and daughters, open ourselves to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let us see visions and dream dreams. Let's dissolve the walls of our church and take the resurrection out into the streets. Amen. Go forth now as Pentecost people filled with the Holy Spirit, dreaming dreams and seeing visions of God's possibilities. Go to be surprised by the Spirit in all you do and everywhere you go, and go claim your identity as Spirit-filled children of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday for the beginning of our new three-part sermon series, Gay is Good, Lessons I've Learned from Being an LGBTQ Pastor. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through the website tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.